to the Michelob Ultra Golf Show with Jeff Kopak on 740 The Fan and 107.3 FM. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. The Golf Show is presented to you by Michelob Ultra. Also brought to you in part by Fargo Park District Public Golf Courses, Barnesville Grocery, Moorhead Parks, Forest Hills Golf Course, and Wildflower Golf. Here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. In your life have you seen anything like that. Now, let's head to the first tee. This guy's pretty good. And here's your host, Jeff Kolpak. This is the first tee. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show coming to you statewide into Minnesota, into Canada, South Dakota. Points beyond, thanks to the worldwide internet. The show brought to you by Gunderson Jewelers. Coming to you from the Gunderson Jewelers studio, I should say. Brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Later in the show, Brad Strand, a friend of mine. He's a author of a new book, and it really pertains to golf, and he started it because of golf. It's titled Optimal Sports Performance... Practice smarter, think faster, play better. And I uh, hope you stay tuned to that because Brad has some interesting thoughts on how he parla- parlays that to golf. But up first, uh, an old friend of the show, and I've got a lot of old friends of the show, thankfully. Corey Hurlison is a head professional at Oxbow Country Club, has been a guest uh, many times over the years, and is always a pleasure to talk to you. So good morning, Corey. How are you? I'm very well, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Well, tell us about Oxbow. How's the summer going? Give us the uh, the update on uh, on the old private course down south. Uh, it's going very well. The course came out of the winter in magnificent shape and, uh, you know, greened up once we got a little bit of rain. Obviously, this uh, May and, and June, the weather was outstanding with the lack of rain and the lack of wind, which is huge out here. So we mm-hmm. were way, way ahead of where we were last year, which was our best uh, year in regard to rounds. And we've continued in that fashion. It's it's slowed down just a hair when mm-hmm. it got cool a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, everything's going well. We've gotten through our two biggest events, and now we just kind of consider this the back end of the season, and we're on cruise control. What are the two biggest events? Uh, the biggest one is our member guest, the Battle at the Bow. That's Father's Day oh, yeah. again, three yeah. days of play. Uh, a lot going on with that. And then our most recent one is uh, the Derby. Uh, it can be member-member or it can be member-guest, two-person better ball, which is shootout at the end. It's just a one-day event. We've got a couple's deal the night before, mm-hmm. which is pretty uh, pretty low-key. Um, it's uh, it's an easy one to do once you get the battle of, uh, of the bowl out of the way, I'll tell you that much. From 2015 to, I believe, around 2019, Oxbow went through a major renovation in which as my job as uh, a beat writer in the golf industry for the form of Fargo-Moorhead, Spent a lot of time out there. Did a lot of stories. It was it was a big deal, and in the uh, just in the whole <clears throat> timeline of it all. Corey, now looking back, and you're a big part of this. Uh, how how do you think it went? You know, what what would be your assessment of of such a major project? I mean, we're talking a major major project. Yeah, there's a lot of wheels uh, turning when you're trying to put. Uh a golf course up and a clubhouse up. And at the same time you're doing it, you want to try to keep 18 holes open so your members can continue to play 18 holes. It's not as if we were going from scratch of building a new club completely that we never existed mm-hmm. and that we wanted to build a club and then a clubhouse. You know, that way you're just building it and, and you're not really worried about membership play going on. 
It's just getting it open and then building your membership as that construction process is going on. We yeah. were in a different situation where we had to move our clubhouse and move our golf course. So uh, managing 18 holes of being open while we're building nine and then building another nine and closing nine, uh, there was a lot going on there. And, you know, we, we weathered through it um, and, and have, a, as you know, a phenomenal golf course out here and a great clubhouse and uh, a great membership, too. So we're really happy with where we're at. Looking back, was there one or were there one or two things where you went, you know, that went better than expected, or man, we accomplished something there. I didn't think it would work, but it did. Yeah, you know, the big one, one big one, and I wasn't here for it, but it was you know moving everything from the old clubhouse to the new clubhouse. I mean, there's just so much stuff in there, loading things up, moving it on, and then trying to work with mm-hmm. two clubhouses that are in flux. You know, it's it's hard logistically to handle that when you're trying to get things moved and and trying to do that with uh, the staff that you have that normally have to do their jobs but now have to transport all this stuff over that was one and then um you know just working with a a construction crew Mm -hmm. um and trying to get things done the way that you want to do it without adding things to the punch list and doing change orders over yeah. and over and over because you're trying to manage a, a financial cost of something and you keep making changes and it gets more expensive based off of what the original thing was. So those were probably the two the biggest things. You know, I'm a nostalgic guy when I get the opportunity to play your course. I like to peek over the levee at the old, um, you know, the old part of the course that was once there. And I haven't been out there yet this year, unfortunately, but is there anything left of it? Can you still sense there was there, there were several holes back there? Yeah, if you know the old course, you'll be able to detect. Oh, hey, there was eighteen fairway. That was where six green was. This is where nine and eighteen greens were. But you know they did a lot of moving of, of um, soil over there, so there's a, a lot more water than there ever was before. You know, one issue we always had was our fourth fairway was always wet. That's right, it was kind yep. of built low. Well, that's completely underwater now, just as is six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and one, so it, it it looks there, but it's so overgrown that if you had no idea what the old course looked like, you wouldn't have a clue. Right, Corley Herlickson is the head professional at Oxbow Country Club. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show coming to you on seven forty, the Fan one hundred seven point three on the FM dial. Let's uh, let's let's get to the new course. The, the obviously the the well, it's not it's four years old now. I guess when when it's all said and done, what five tees, six tees, eight tees? How many got you up to ten? How many tees you got now? We've got we've got silver, green, green gold, gold, gold <laughs> blue, blue, blue black, and black. And we've got uh, level one U.S. kids and level two U.S. kids tees that play at three thousand yards for eighteen holes and four thousand yards for eighteen holes, respectively, on those. So we're at three thousand, four thousand, fifty one hundred, fifty eight hundred, sixty three hundred. I mean, we're when we start getting in the combos, it's two fifty between those tees. So there's a phenomenal mix of tees for anyone that wants to play out here based on their yardage. And then we built a lot of tee boxes on a lot of holes, so it's not as if we're playing from the same tee box all the time. We're able to move tees left and right to completely different tees, so you get different angles coming into holes or different angles off of tees on par fours and par fives. So it makes it interesting, and you feel the wind in there, and now we've got a different golf course every other day out here with what we deal with. And I think you can go up to, what, 7,400, right? Yeah, yeah. If we, on the scorecard, it's 70, 
73.23, Jeff, but if we wanted to, we could stretch 16 longer, which is 6.56, and we could stretch 11 longer. There's a couple we could borrow tee boxes from different holes yep. and probably get it to 76 if we wanted to. Right. Now, Sanford's been in the, or, or Oxbow's been in the conversation with the Sanford International. I know it's still down in Sioux Falls. There was talk of maybe Sioux Falls didn't want it at the, the, the country club down there, and, and Sanford would be an, uh, really an optimal destination and especially with the the Sanford presence here, any mentions? Have you are you hearing any rumblings out there, Corey, of of LPGA senior champions or even PGA? Anything, any pro related stuff uh, potentially landing at Oxbow? Yeah, yeah, you're right. A few years ago, um, Minnehaha is the course that's hosting it, and uh, they the rumblings we heard was that they weren't maybe interested in hosting it. So uh, the tournament directors for the Sanford event came in. Mm-hmm. And they they talked to us, took a look at the facility. It was in like late February, so they couldn't get a good gauge of the golf course because we were covered in snow. Mm-hmm. And they were going to cut. They really liked the facility. Uh, they thought it could easily host uh, that event, Champions Tour event. And then um, they did end up coming back in April. And then shortly thereafter, we heard that they had renegotiated the contract with Minnehaha to keep it at Minnehaha. I think for another three years. So I think it was in total like a four year deal. Um, haven't heard anything since then. Um, you know, we've been so busy with the way that things have gone after COVID that I think it just has kind of dropped out of people's minds, um, you know, because we're just, we're busy out here. So it would be something that I think would be entertained if it came up again in the future. I, I was going to say, that'd be a question. Would the members be open to hosting a tournament? It's just not one week. Ask Minnehaha. I mean, yeah, you got to close it down for, I, I don't know, two, three, four, or I, I'm not sure. Longer than one week, I know that. Yeah, you know, it was actually interesting. I When I was in Vegas, I was at uh, TPC Las Vegas, and we co-hosted the Las Vegas Invitational, and I knew the the invasive nature that a tour event can be, and that was one of the concerns that I had was, are we willing to give up a golf course for X amount of days? But the nice thing that they came in and they said was because of how open it is out here, they would be able to install the things they needed to install mm-hmm. in probably a third of the time that it took to do it Minnehaha because of the trees and hills that they have out there. So they felt comfortable that it would be, you know, maybe about three weeks to get all the things they needed to get in okay. and that it wouldn't even be a course closed down per se. It would be they'd be able to work around things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what was favorable about it. But again, you know, your membership's got to be willing to to put up with those things. You're going to have some agronomy things that are going to be put in place by the PGA Tour that you're going to have to follow as well. Um, and that can be a little bit invasive to what you're used to doing. Uh, we all know how Hazeltine handles uh, the Ryder Cup hitting off of mats, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over summer. So those are questions that need to be asked that you have to have answers for, and the membership has to be bought in on it right. in order to do it. And there was a lot of excitement that spring when we talked about it and even into the summer people like yeah you know we're interested in doing this and it's a matter of do you want to do it for multiple years and the pga tour they don't like leaving a golf course because they know everything there yeah you know they don't want to do a two-year and leave to another and leave to another you see these places stay for years and years and years because it's just easier for them once they know the logistics of what they need to do at that golf course and then and then you're talking stands you're talking tv towers you're talking i mean there's a multitude of things out there Exactly. A lot of infrastructure that has yep. to go up. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show. Corey Herlickson is the guest. He's the head professional at Oxbow down in South Fargo. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Corey after this.
Welcome back. This is Jeff Kopak. This is The Golf Show, as presented by Michelob Ultra, coming to you from the Gunnarsson Jewelers Studio. Corey Herlickson is the guest. He's a head professional at Oxbow Country Club in South Fargo. Uh, Corey, you were, uh, before I headed up, uh, went to Pebble Beach, you, you, you put out the invite for let me play the Pebble Beach golf course on your simulator. I never had a chance to get down there, but thank you for that. Yeah, you're, you're you're welcome. You're welcome. Is that is that how's the simulator? Is that popular? I mean, I would love to play Pebble Beach, and I'm sure your members do too. Yeah, it is. Our we have uh, we have three in the winter time. Right now, we just have one because the space that we utilize for weddings in the summertime is the area that we put the other two simulators up. Mm-hmm. And this year was the first year that we had three. We just had one, and it was it was very busy and. Yeah. It was a, a, a really good investment that our um, state committee, which is a fundraiser, uh, it's, it's a, all the money was raised by an event that we had. So it was nothing that had to be paid for by the members of the club other than those that decided to purchase things at that stag event. And it was so successful with the one, it was like, you know, we should really put in a couple more. And um, we we did triple the amount of hours on the track, man, this year we did the previous year. So wow. it was total buy-in from the membership. And, um, you know, between SETI, who is our old GM, and our new GM, Asia, uh, she was our membership director. They did a really good job of getting the proper furniture and creating a nice atmosphere in that event center that was inviting that you could go play in. Um, so it, we've it's been great for us. The members don't have to pay anything for it. So that's obviously a lot easier as well. Yep. And they just book it like a normal tea time, and, and and they're busy. That's awesome. Is there a right way or, or a not a right way to to play golf on a simulator or to work on a simulator? Is there is there a method to the to the madness, so to speak? Yeah, well, anyone that's played on a simulator knows that putting is not necessarily the greatest thing when you're playing the actual simulation mm-hmm. of it because it just it doesn't seem accurate, and, and, and chipping can be difficult as well. But you know. We use TrackMan technology, and not only do we have the golf simulation where you're playing on a golf course, it's got about 10 other things that you can utilize on it. One is specific to putting that is actually incredibly accurate. It's just called TrackMan putting. But you can set up different combines where you're working on hitting shots at different distances. You can vary the distances or hit three, four in a row, Mm. score points, uh, you know, and compare yourself against people of your ability across the country. You know, there's range practice that you can do. so. You just—it's not everything gets utilized here the way that I think it could be mm-hmm. to benefit the membership. They just want us, a lot of them to show up and play golf on a golf course. But once I open up their eyes to what's there yeah. and they start using it, they're like, "Hey, this is actually pretty cool." Right, right. What 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 have you? What did you shoot at Pebble Beach on the simulator, if I may ask? You believe it or not, I have not played. You haven't played it. <laughs> you, that's played life the, of the I pro. Used mm-hmm. I used the simulator one time this winter when my brother and, and yep. kids were in town, and that was it. So. I want to tap into your uh, pro golf mind, though, your, your teaching mind. Golfers, as we head into uh, August here, what are issues? What do you see players? What should they be working on when they go to the range or when they talk to talk to a swing coach or a professional coach or they go to you? What do you see as the issues this time of year? One of the things that you see, if you, ha- if you haven't worked with the person earlier in the year, uh, you haven't worked on any specific changes in the swing. So this time of year, especially in uh, mid-July with the start that we got, you know, going in May, mm-hmm. you start seeing people, their swing going awry. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, I'm playing terrible. I haven't played this bad the entire year, blah, blah, blah. So their, their swing that they restart the year off with is kind of the muscle memory swing. 
Well, you start hitting the ball left, you start hitting the ball right, you start dinking around with where your hands need to be and doing this, doing that. And you end up getting yourself disorganized in a sense of what the, the base three components you need to have, which is grip, aim, and setup. You know, yep. Getting those things correct are, are extremely important. I call it the three-legged stool. You cut one leg off, that stool is not standing up. Mm-hmm. So it's that. If I'm working with people I have been working with throughout the year, we're getting to the point where I'm starting to see the work that they've put in and the, and the teamwork that we've done together to get them in the direction they want to go, starting to really starting to pay some dividends because they've gotten you know, eight weeks to plus into golf season and working on these things over and over and over again, multiple times a week. So, you know, I've got a lesson that uh, starts up here shortly and uh, it's the first time we've worked together. So I would imagine we're going to bump into some of those things that uh, I indicated earlier uh, with regard to having problems, but I've worked with people, you know, all season. And and like I said, they're starting to see the fruition of of their work and the work that we've done. Well, you start with grip, don't you? That's got to be number one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Grip, aim, and setup. They all three got to go together, but it always, for me, starts with gripping the club, then getting the, getting yourself feet and shoulders aimed correctly. And then just working on your athletic position and you know, how wide your feet need to be or not be and where your ball location needs to be. And then once we get there, we can start getting into some of the basic fundamentals of the in-swing stuff, how to properly transfer your weight and uh, you know things of that nature. What's it like, and maybe you could share a story, not naming names, but share a story of somebody where you've worked with somebody from day one, square one, and then over the summer you put in a lot of work. The golfer, he or she puts in a lot of work. Finally, by August, things are really starting to click. That must be a good feeling for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, you know, a, a good example would be I worked with a girl who was a high school golfer, and she was just getting into the high school level. And um, you know, she came to me, and I kind of my evaluation was, okay, we got to put some time in on this if we want to. We want to make the varsity, um, mm-hmm. and you could potentially do it. You know, you might not be. It might be a six player where you're bouncing in and out of it, but if you put the time in, you can get there. And she was, I think, eighth grade at that point in time. And she worked and worked and worked. And, and her dad brought her out a lot and made her go out, and her and her brothers did. And she went through the season and ended up playing in the fall mm-hmm. and ended up playing really well. Didn't make it to, um, I think she might have played one varsity event, but she ended up getting most improved golfer on the team, Yeah, which was really cool to see because she put the time into it. And she saw the fruits of her labor uh, once that award was given to her. High school kids, you see them out there all the time. Kindred's been obviously very tied to Oxbow, among other schools in the area. But um, what is it about these high school kids that you see the dedication of it? There must be something about it. I mean, you must see them every day. Uh, And what better way for a parent than your kids out at the golf course? Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. The the one thing I noticed. Uh, that makes a big difference is if they've got a friend group that golfs, mm-hmm. you know, they go to the course together as two or three or four, and they'll hit balls together on the range. They'll go putt together and then they'll go play together. And then when they're done, if they're dedicated, they'll go back and hit balls again together. Um, you know, from time to time, you see high school golfers that are individualized and they're not worried about going out with friend groups, but the yeah. friend groups to me make a big difference. It makes it a little bit more social, uh, it doesn't mean you can't be great just going out on your own. And sometimes you end up 
probably horsing around more with the friend group than you would if you're individualistic. But yep. what I notice out there are the friend groups that play yep. together. It makes a big difference. Um, about 30 seconds left, Corey. Is is there something in the future that we're looking forward to, Oxbow? Do you have any projects? I mean, you're, it's all guns blazing right now, but I guess is there anything out there that you guys are, are looking at? Yeah, we've got we've got kind of a big deal coming. I don't want to reveal what oh, it is. Oh, okay, the big it tease. Could be something it needs to be approved uh, yep. by a couple committees, but it's going to be we would be the only place within a five state area that would have it. So wow, okay. that's, that's a little bit of a tease for you. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty sweet technology. So. Well, you got my text or you got my number. Let me know. I so, will do. Okay, thanks, Corey. Appreciate the time as usual. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Take care. You, Glad you had me on. You as well. That's Corey Herlickson, head professional at Oxwell Country Club. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show. We're going to take a break. Brad Strand, author, on the other side. Did you hit it twice? Did you hit it twice? Welcome back. This is the Golf Show. This is Jeff Kopak on 740 The Fan, 107.3 on the FM dial. Thanks again for Corey Herlickson for joining us in the first uh, half of the hour. Corey's, uh, I, I love the fact these these golf professionals have been around so long and they're just so good to work with and so good for the area. So thanks again to Corey. Like I alluded to early in the show, pleased to be joined by Brad Strand. A, 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 a man, we've known each other for years, and I, I know you've been uh, obviously up at NDSU right now. Went to you, uh, you got your uh, doctorate at Utah State, right? I got my doctorate at the University of New Mexico. New Mexico, okay. I was a professor at Utah State for seven years. Okay, okay. That's where I met Jim Zorn. Uh, <laughs> Jim and I played on the uh, same softball team together, and yeah. uh, I carried him a little bit. I'm sure you did, yeah. 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 Anyway, professor of health, nutrition, and exercise science up at NDSU, but uh, author. Um, you've written, I don't know, four or five books, and the latest one, as and I did a story on this on, on Inform.com, and I'm holding it up right now. Optimal sports performance, practice smarter, think faster, play better. And I'm sure the listeners out there are wondering, okay, what does this have to do with golf? But I think it has everything to do with golf because that's how you got this project going. And I'll just leave it right there. And how did you start this? Well, I started it in my head many years ago. I've been doing (laughs) research and writing and studying and teaching coaching education Mm -hmm. uh, for mm, 27 years at NDSU. And uh, it's always been sitting in the back of my mind as I've struggled to perform better myself. And the, the, the You're an avid that, golfer, right? Yep. I'm an avid golfer. Not always. Uh, <laughs> I was a racquetball player uh, for a long, long time. And that, like many people, you, that, you wear out from that. Yep. And so I always said when I get old, I'll play golf. And so I got old. <laughs> and I started playing golf and, and really started studying it and taking it seriously. I have lots of friends that are sports psychologists that work with professional golfers. Mm-hmm. And so I had a chance to, uh, to pick their brains, to, to, to walk with professional golfers at tournaments, uh, to see how they do their, their things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's been fun. And, and uh, the thing that really kicked off this book is that I was playing in a golf tournament, and uh, I struggled. Um, emotionally, uh, I collapsed when I needed to be strong, mm-hmm. and it really bothered me, and I walked off the course uh, blaming somebody, and that had to be my opponent. Yeah, because he was playing music, right? He was playing yeah. music that distracted me, and I didn't have the wherewithal to uh, tune it out yep. and focus myself. And so I got home uh, from, from that event and, and sat down and started thinking about what is it that prevents us from succeeding sometimes, and what is it that success really looks like? Mm-hmm. And I... I 
labeled or put together what I thought were those responses. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, I built a framework of what I consider to be optimal sport performance and yep. started filling in the blanks. Yep. That's that's how it all came about. Yeah, and, and, and the thing about golf is that to, how do you address failure in golf? How do we deal with failures in golf? Because golf and, and a sport like baseball, there, there's failures all the time. In, in baseball, if you're if you if you get on 30 percent of the time, you're great. Exactly. So how do you how do you define success? Okay. And so you know when you look at, at setting goals or so you can set outcome goals, you mm-hmm. can set progress goals, you can set performance goals, and um, and sometimes you got to start with just the, the a progress goal, mm-hmm. like I'm just going to start making more three foot putts. Yep. And I want I want to make 60% of my 3 3 foot putts. That's just a a process goal. Mm-hmm. Um I'm working on my technique, I'm working on my focus and my concentration. Uh professionals make about 97 or 98% of the 3 foot putts and we're not far behind uh as amateurs. As you spread out to 10 feet, their numbers go down and so do ours and ours go down more than theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where you can I mean we're all going to fail. Yep. At, at some aspect in sports and especially in golf yep. or like baseball, you say, where success is a batting average of 300. Mm-hmm. And so we want to identify, I think, some reachable goals that um, that would indicate that we're making progress in, instead of failing. And I, I like Kobe Bryant's uh, comment one time. He was asked, um, how do you handle a loss or losing? And he said, what do you mean? He, he said to the interviewer. And she said, well, when you lose, how do you handle that? And he again said, I don't know what you mean by that. And she said it a third time. And finally he said, well, you never lose. You either win or you learn. And I thought, hmm. that's about what it should be, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So if things don't go your way, what do you learn from that? So you're not losing, mm-hmm. right? And it really changed my thinking when, when I started to process that and, and then put some teeth to it yeah. and how I approached, in this case, playing the game of golf. Right. When I think about, and let's make this real. Let's say there's a, a father or a mother driving around out there and they have junior high or high school kids. And and obviously kids are, are one of the target factors that they're not mature enough really to handle failures probably as well as 59-year-olds. So what would you tell a mother or father out there in teaching their kids how to deal with a, with a bad shot? Because... Short memories are are huge in being a cornerback who got burned on a deep touchdown pass or a high school golfer who just flubbed a shot and now is walking up to it. Yep. You know, first and foremost, it's all about having fun. And and I think mom and dad have to have to reemphasize that with their kids, mm-hmm. that it's about having fun. The ride home for many kids is the worst experience of youth sports. Because car now, coaching. Yeah. Yes. Yep. M- mom and dad continue to coach that kid, even though they're not the coach, but they're coaching him and her in the car, and they're just just, just kind of beating the kid down. Mm-hmm. And I think your kids don't fail. I mean, it's a process. Mm-hmm. And they may not have won the game. They may not have performed the best, but you have to find something to affirm what they just did. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you liked how they did this. You liked how they interacted with their teammates. You liked how they lifted somebody up. You like the effort, and I think we have to effort squared. Let's put it that way. Okay. Reward effort squared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, double double at the affirmation for effort, 
and and don't focus on the wins and the losses and, and the failures. It's it's they're putting in the effort, and and that think that counts for a lot. Okay, what do you do after you hit a bad shot? How do you do, what's your mechanism? What do you do? Well, me personally, yeah. What I used to do and what I do. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's start with what well, you used to do. Used to do. You know, you get you you, you do your little uh, posturing thing, mm-hmm. so you all your buddies know that you are better than that. Mm-hmm. And and most oh, of, <laughs> oh, and most of the time we play about as good as we are. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so you, you posture and you say, "I haven't done that before," and I you bang something in the ground and you all that kind of stuff. And and that's what everybody that's played golf has probably done something like mm-hmm. that. Um, that's not going to help performance at all. So mm-hmm. a more positive thing to do, uh, you give yourself about six seconds. Six. Six. Pick, pick your number. Mm-hmm. Nine, whatever it takes for you to flush that thing out of your head and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and flushing it is not always easy. You have to develop some kind of routine or ritual that indicates, okay, now it's time to stop thinking about that and go on to the next thing. Okay. And that could be many different things. It could be touching your hat. It could be wiping sweat from your brow. It could be rubbing your, 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 your slacks. Um, it could be touching your golf club. It's just some indicator that says, okay, that's done. Let's move on. And, and the thing is, you have to do it on a regular basis. You can't just ex- expect to do it one time and mm-hmm. it's a stick. It's got to be done like all the time. And almost even when you do things well, you still have to turn things off and yep. then reload later on. So that indicator could be used when you go bad or when you do well. It's just got to be an on-off switch. I like what you told me. I think this is what you do is you look at the trees and touch your cap. Yeah, uh, yes, I do. I, yep. I, I touch my hat, and then I look up at the trees, and I've identified the trees as a focus point for me. And I okay. think everybody needs to have a, a focus point somewhere. In football, it might be a goalpost. Mm-hmm. It could be a light. Uh, you know, it's want, you want to make it something that you can readily see when you have to see it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. Uh, maybe not something you have to turn around and look for and, and spend too much time looking for it, but it has to be readily there. And so I picked the top of a trees, not, not just one thing, but just top of the trees. Mm-hmm. And I, I look up there, take a deep breath, exhale, <laughs> and then try to move on. Yep. Try. Okay. Brad Strand is the author of Optimal Sports Performance, Practice Smarter, Think Faster, Play Better, available on Amazon.com, right, Brad? Yes. Amazon.com as we speak. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Professor Strand right after this. I saw you slam your club in anger. (laughs) I had to play this song after that. (laughs) Perfect. Oh, this is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show coming to you on 740 The Fan, 107.3 on the FM dial. Brad Strand is the author of Optimal Sports Performance, Practice Smarter, Think Faster, Play Better, and certainly has a lot to do with the sport of golf because um, that's a uh, that's a sport that I think is 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 just as much mental as physical as as any sport out there. I don't know what else would be more if you think about it. Exactly right, and you know they try to put a percentage sometimes to say sports is ninety percent mental and and ten percent physical. You know, <laughs> it's hard to put put numbers to that, but mm-hmm. but there is some truth to that, and and golf is certainly uh, a lot of uh, a mental struggle. Yeah. Um, in the book, you put out this, and you actually put it on a flow chart of, of sorts, is athletes' challenges to optimal performance 
And you start with performance anxiety, arousal, emotional reactions, distractions, and blocks. Add those, add all those up, and they equal suboptimal performance. That's correct. Yep. Yes, they all prevent you from. They're all they, they're all distractions mm-hmm. in, in a sense. And I think of professional athletes mm-hmm. that struggle with this. Christian Watson, for example, mm-hmm. number two uh, drafted in the second round by the Green Bay Packers, first play of his NFL career, drops a seventy-yard pass from Aaron Rodgers. It's yep. going to be a touchdown, and. I don't know, was it arousal anxiety, mm-hmm. was performance anxiety? Was he nervous? Was he stressed? What We don't know. Maybe he just took his eye off the ball. But professional athletes struggle with these things, and if they do, <laughs> and they're a mostly well-trained athletes, right. can you imagine what the rest of us are like when yeah. these things occur? Right, right. Yeah. So that's, that's where I started, with trying to identify okay. what are these things that are really preventing us from playing at a better level? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is through years of research, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We've done some research with uh, asking high school athletes um, about overtraining and about stress. And every high school athlete talks about the fact that they, they, ha- they are overtrained. They are stressed. Some of that is the self-critical um, view. Some of that is the pressure put on by parents, some mm-hmm. put on by coaches, the, the expectations. And we also ask athletes, uh, how do they cope with some of these things? Mm-hmm. And, and many of them uh, identify, you know, the uh, embarrassment and shame as a top um, stressor, and they're being judged. Sure. I, I, I just shot a 98 in the golf tournament. I'm a high school golf, varsity golfer, and I just shot a 98. Yeah. And now you got to go live with that. Yep. And you're identifying yourself as a golfer. Your validation is coming through the fact that you are a golfer, and you shot a 98. And that's sometimes, uh, that's hard to... Hard to handle when you th- when you like to think that you are an athlete and a mm-hmm. golfer, and people are looking up to you. And now you, you, you probably haven't failed anybody, right? Yeah. But inside, you are carrying a load. Yeah. Yeah. Is do you see that a lot with uh, high school kids, college kids? Do college kids golfers are they better able to handle that as just simple maturity thing? You you would like to think so. Yeah. Yes, uh, they've been through the. You know, I asked somebody one time, and this guy was a professional racquetball player. In fact, he's in the top two or three all-time world championships. His name is Sudsy Monchek. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, what's the secret to, to winning the tiebreaker in racquetball tournaments? And he said, you have to get there enough times. I thought, okay, that, that's cool. But that's, that's a pretty tough trial and error learning method. Right. You, you get there, and you either win or you lose, and then you get there again, you either win or you lose. But you're not really learning how to fight through those things. Yep. So I think there's a better way if we can teach kids how to fight through some of those things instead of just like hit and miss and trial and error. Um, but there is something to be said for what, getting there makes a difference because when you look at uh, Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls, they didn't win anything, didn't win the championships in his first six seasons. People forget that. Yes, they got a step closer every year, you know, getting their matters. And then they, you won three in a row and then took a little break and won three in a row. Mm-hmm. So getting there does matter. Um, but I just think there's there's more to it than just getting there and, and losing. Mm-hmm. It's getting there and learning how to handle it while you're there. Yep. NDC professor Brad Strand joins us on the golf show. He's the author of Optimal Sports Performance, Practice Smarter, Think Faster, Play Better, available on Amazon.com. Let's get to the how you, how you be successful. 
Uh, we've we've addressed the failures, and I think in your flow chart here, uh, preparation, movement, response. Yes, I the, I list a number of things. So optimal performance is getting into flow, okay. and and flow is when when your abilities uh, match the challenge that you're faced with, and because they are are matched up perfectly, it's like it's easy. You're in a zone, and every athlete has been there, and it's like you're not even trying. It's just it's just so easy. Mm-hmm. And not to get better, you have to stretch that zone a little bit and, and, and get a little gap between where you are and where you're going to. Mm-hmm. And you have to practice in that little stretch zone, uh, yeah. you know, and, and make it a little tougher for yourself. Okay. So, so there are some certain skills. There are a lot of psychological skills. So we could talk about technical skills. Yep. And that's learning how to, how to swing the club and how to, uh, how to putt and, and uh, tactical skills, you know, you got your your game plan for playing out of the trees and how you're going to manage the golf course, and those things are all cool. And we can talk about yep. uh, mental toughness and how you overcome uh, some some tough times. And uh, and then there's psychological skills, and I think the psychological skills are what get left behind mm-hmm. lots of times when people are learning to play sports. There's only so much time in the day uh, for coaches to coach their kids, and they're so focused on this. The technical skills, the the X's and O's, so to speak, uh, and limited time for really training kids how to do the mental skills. And so, uh, some some of the things that we could consider is helping kids find their optimum arousal level. Okay. Because some kids need to turn on with loud music, and some kids need to have like really relaxing music to find their optimal level. And yep. if you're not at your optimal level, well, there's strike one. Yeah. You're not yep. going to perform at your optimum level. Yep. So, so there are different things we can do to, to raise arousal. There are certain things we can do to, to lower arousal. Yep. And it's incumbent upon a coach to help each kid, I think, figure out what works best yep. for them. You know, right? these, these books work because uh, when my son was playing college b- baseball, Tom Hansen from Moorhead wrote this uh, baseball book a long time ago called Play Big. And my son, it was like the Bible to my son. Anytime he had a bad day or he'd go back and read some chapters or read a, a couple pages that he, he really liked about this. Every high school coach or college coach should probably address your book. What do you think is, is what I mean? Because there's, it explains things. It, I think you're right, and we we assume that because kids are college athletes, they know how to do a lot of these psychological things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're college athletes because they've been successful. Yeah, and sometimes they're just the more gifted athlete. It's not that they know how to do any of these psychological things. That just that's just been gifted in, in a different way, and and just today, in fact, uh, I asked a NDSU former golfer if she was taught any of these skills mm-hmm. when they were uh, when she was playing golf, and the answer was basically no. Okay, and it's nothing about the coaches. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's just not being included lots of times. This is the modern way. I mean, this is this, you're this taking is, stuff to another le- other levels. Exactly. You know, the, the really the field of sports psychology yeah. is not really very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it probably got its start in about 19 the mid 70s mm-hmm. and then caught on maybe in the in the 80s. And now there are uh, sports psychologists working with college teams but not a lot. I know NDSU brings in for football a guy named Ben Newman. Yeah, they and used to. Yep, they, they used, used to. to. Yep. yep, and he'd come in and do his pep talk once in a while. And, but between him being there and not being, there's a lot of things going on mm-hmm. with those kids that 
they, they could probably benefit from having somebody there on a regular basis, yeah. helping them through some of the struggles that they face uh, mentally and in, in validation of them, their performance and themselves. When you write this book, did you learn a thing or what, or what, what were a couple of things you learned you think that uh, you never knew? But you just like, wow, okay. Well, there's a lot of things okay. that, I, that I learned uh, yeah. writing the book. And, and the biggest takeaway for me was teaching myself how to, how to flush uh, something when it went bad mm-hmm. and then how to refocus. Uh, I'm a very competitive person. Sounds simple, but it's not. Exactly. It's, it's, it's really hard to do. And you, all, you have to learn to do it in context, meaning you have to learn to do it in practice and during competition. So first off, you, you learn about this and you maybe practice it outside the, the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you put it into practice in context, and now that's a different thing because everything is just ratcheted up a little bit. There's more pressure, there's, there's, there's more stress, there's more at stake. And if you haven't practiced it under those conditions, it, you're just not going to succeed because emotions are going to win. Right. Right? The right. rational thinking loses and the emotions win. Right. Right. So positive result or negative result? I mean, yeah, there's yeah. obviously uh, sometimes, you know, you do everything wrong and you get a positive result. <laughs> sometimes you do everything right and you get a negative result. Yeah. So we have to recognize as, as athletes, as performers, that there are some things we can control and we mm. try to control those as much as possible. That's the training. That's the, the eating right. That, that's the preparation. That's your fitness. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that are uncontrollable, like you hit a tee shot uh, hits a sprinkle head and, and bounces into the rough, and, and now you're mad, yeah. but really, you did everything you're supposed to do right. So this is one of those times so, where So look you, at the trees and touch your cat. That's exactly right. <laughs> this is where you you flush it and then move yep. on, because you did everything right. Yep. Yep. Brad, thank you. Appreciate it. Fasc- my, my, fascinating book. My pleasure. Like, thank you for inviting again, me. Again, Optimal Sports Performance, Practice Smarter, Think Faster, Play Better, available on Amazon Amazon.com. Um, just log on. It's right there. Google. The Google machine works, too. That'll do it for this edition of The Golf Show. Thanks again to Corey Herlickson in the first half of the show, and again, obviously, Professor Strand for joining us and talking about his latest book project. This is Jeff Kopak. Until next week, hit him straight.